fellow honours in the fourth dimension and welcome to the greatest show in the galaxy. I am Emma, he is Mike, and joining us is another he. It's Rick bringing some symbolic logic with him. Hey Rick, how's it going? Good afternoon, Mike and Emma. <laughs> <laughs> hey y'all, how's it going? <laughs> hey, Pretty good. good. And, you, and today, you might have guessed... Judging if you've read the title, we're going to have a chat about Tomb of the Cybermen mm. in our ongoing quest to show Rick old episodes of Doctor Who and see what he thinks about them. Yes. <laughs> this is the second instalment. <laughs> yeah, I've got to say, I feel like we went much easier on you this time. Mm. We really threw you so far in the deep end with with Go Ghostlight. Yeah. Um, so this one is, is much more straightforward or, you know, um, on the surface anyway. Um, I'm really interested in what you think. So, should should we start with some just some initial thoughts, Rick? Do you want to kick us off? Sure. Uh, might as well get my heresies out of the way early. <laughs> oh dear. Uh-oh. Um, I actually enjoyed. Uh, uh, what was the other one? I forget the name of it now. But you Ghost just said Light. it. And Ghostlight. I re- I enjoyed that one a lot more. Um, okay. Remember, I started watching Doctor Who with the the Tom Baker stuff. So mm-hmm. Ghostlight was a little closer to what I'm what I was used to. Um, I really do my best when watching old stuff to, you know, ratchet back my expectations and try to get into the 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 mindset of somebody watching the show at the time it was aired. And like I, you know, my wife and I watched The Unearthly Child, and while we're sitting there going, "My God, this is moving slower than molasses," at least it was moving. Um. I think that you could take all four episodes of Tomb and the Cybermen and edit them down to one 40-minute-ish really good story. I didn't have a problem with the story. It was just there were so many scenes of everyone just sort of standing around doing nothing. Welcome welcome to British television. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's all I've got to say about that. Pretty much. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's quite mar- it's, it's actually just as we're doing this episode. I think it was last week actually. Two Side Men turned fifty. Mm-hmm. Well, as, so as we record this, it's the third of September. I actually turned fifty yes. yesterday. Right. Okay. So there Same we are. September nineteen sixty seven was its first was episode one's uh, broadcast date. Okay, I, I'll say some good things about it before I before I go on to a litany of shitting all over it, which I don't intend to do. I, I dig, you know, I did some research on it and I realized that this is, this is considered one of the, the high points of early doctor who, uh, and, and I can, I can see it, but there were just some real problems with the, with the pacing. Mm. Uh, I now understand. Oh, no way. I was going to say, I was going to say good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Deborah Watling is stunning. Yeah. Uh, I, Passed know, away she, recently, sadly. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I was like, "Wow, this, this, you know, she gives uh, Amy and and Clara a run for the money as far as being, uh, you know, the most gorgeous companion." Mm. Um, I love the sets. Mm. I like the creativity of the Cybermen costumes because uh, an- another thing I had to, I had to force myself to imagine watching this on a little, like, you know, 13, 14 inch black and white screen. So seven inch. Not 13. I was going to say, I'm oh, say really? what That's... bloody Rockefeller are you, mate? Luxury. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, you know, this is, this is only a few years removed. Yeah. Literally a few years removed from when my nan 
went round, her whole street went round one person's house to watch the coronation. Mm-hmm. So oh, wow. you were lucky to have your own telly at this point. You know, this, this, you know, this was when telly was still in this country vying for radio as king. Okay. Uh, so, you know, things like the wiffle balls at every joint on the Cybermen are, are mm-hmm. you know, certainly mm-hmm. forgivable because you wouldn't – all it, you would have seen was just some little ball with some texture. Uh, and I think they did a good job with the obvious minuscule budget they had. Um, the, 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 the Cybermen coming out of that uh, vending machine they were all in, um, that was pretty clever. Uh, although, did we really need to st- – it, it was so – Goddamn slow. <laughs> Did you like the music that went with it, though? <laughs> That's the important point. Mm. I'm waiting for a thing about the music. Uh, it didn't. It it, uh, it was there. I didn't notice it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to be all day. <laughs> yeah. And then when they went back into it and they, you know, it, it was, I, I appreciated how, they they made sure that the Cybermen coming out of the the tombs worked in reverse, so mm-hmm. that when they went back in went back went back in went back in, it didn't look like oh they're just running the film backwards unless you just kind of realized that's exactly what they were doing when the when the Saran wrap sealed itself back up around their hands and stuff, um, you know, and having them punch through the the the, the what did y'all call it cling film? That's what cling they said film, in yeah. the. Mm-hmm. Uh, they used, uh, which I mean, I mean, simple and effective. It was beautiful. Um, I just, I, you know, the acting was pretty good for the most part uh, for those for that time. We'll get to the captain of the rocket in a minute. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say uh, this is a part that's going to blow your mind? I think. Um, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, Mike, but I think he's meant to be Canadian just to make it doubly worse. I. I... Oh, <laughs> the character or the actual actor? The character. Um, hmm, good question. I don't know. I don't think it was explicitly stated what uh, nationality yeah, was. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I've seen that somewhere. So it makes mm. his accent inverted commas even worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of accents in inverted commas in this one. Yes. Yeah. I I now get it. How you guys feel when one of us does our quote unquote British accent? <laughs> yes. Can I just say was... mostly that's that's a shit imitation of my accent. So I get to be doubly chased off. <laughs> but every time that guy opened his mouth, I was like, because it's not, it's not just, it's like, oh, he's doing a bad American accent. Nobody talks like that over here. Someone's so seen a like, John what Wayne the hell picture. Is he? mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just making me crazy. Um, I must say, when I rewatched this for this show, I was like, Pfft. Mike's, yeah, I was going to say, uh, Rick is going to be like, I wonder what he's going to say about that guy's accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I, I just, it, yeah. <laughs> you know what? The, uh, the one line of his that I can never wrap my head around is when um, he's about to like go down into the tombs and uh, he tells Victoria to stay put. And she says, uh, oh, who'd be a woman? And he goes, well, how would you know, honey? It's like, what does that mean? <laughs> She's wearing a skirt, mate. Is it not obvious here? <laughs> Well, mind you, there is a bloke wearing a skirt in this episode, so perhaps he's a bit confused. Hey, I'll have you know that. Oh, I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I did he go back? Was he wearing trousers at the beginning and then went back and put on the kilt? No, no? purely Am kilts. I, mm-hmm. He had the kilt all the time. Okay. Um, I, th- I think um, the production office, somebody higher up at the BBC was trying to get um, Fraser Hines and Jamie to be putting trousers on, but... Uh, Fraser put his foot down and said, no, you know, 
my character Scottish, he'd be wearing a kilt. You know, especially from the time period he was from. Yeah, because I mean, um, in the in the storyline, I don't know if you know this, Rick, but Jamie is plucked from the from the Jacobean uh, Scottish versus Scotland versus England wars of the 1600s. So. Okay. Yeah, he's, so one of those uh, guys who like... wouldn't complain, even though it's four thousand below zero on the on the planet. Oh God, no! Yeah. yeah. Okay. I like Troughton as the Doctor. That was my first exposure to him. Oh wow! Okay. Um, oh. However, <laughs> yeah. Through this whole episode, it really seemed like he was just kind of observing uh, until the very end when he finally actually did something. But every now and then, he would be like. You know, they'd be trying to figure something out, and he'd go, "Oh well, perhaps if you did this and carried the five and 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 added this right here and turned this, but for God's sake, don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, we're going to. I think the the Doctor's ethics in this story, I think we might touch on sort of later in in the episode because it's it's kind of a chunk of this of this story and kind of how you feel about it. I think might sort of, especially as someone who's coming at the Second Doctor for the first time, um, sort of form how you feel about him i think hmm. um so i think we'll 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 just park that for a second and we'll come okay. back to it so um sure. um so anything else you liked or um i i i like the the uh the controller oh, the cyber I, controller yeah yeah i i admired their attempt to make him seem as alien as possible uh, it was hard to understand him a lot with that that buzzy voice box thing they were doing, but I, I applauded the effort. Yeah, the, the, so the fellow who's in that is a, a guy called Michael Kilgariff, who I saw at a convention, and is an absolute brick shit house of a man. Um, <laughs> you know the, how big he is is kind of an understatement when you see him in real life. Hmm. Um, I mean, he's about I would say about six six. He's sort of offensive lineman kind of big. Hmm. So he's a he's a big old boy. So. Um, yeah, they were all really tall. Yeah, this was the thing. When they had the Cybermen initially, they were sort of, like they do now, sort of go out their way to get sort of the same size dudes. So you get this idea of conformity. So it, the, But that kind of goes away in the 80s when they just like, just get someone who will fit in the bloody costume and put them on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I also like that the Cybermen at one point said, struggle is futile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, if if it's gonna be real true blasphemous, these original Borg. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think part of the reason why Rick, we me and Mike sort of asked you here today is because if we did this ep- if me and Mike did this episode, the key word would be gush. Because <laughs> the the way this, this episode is regarded in, in Doctor Who fandom, I think it sort of goes back to the fact that um during the nineties it was this episode was thought lost, deleted from the archive, and nothing remained of series five of so basically the entire second doctor's first series um was completely wiped from existence. None of it was thought to have survived um until in ninety two I want to say mm-hmm. this story came back now it existed in audio, all of them exist in audio, so you can listen to it in tapes, but obviously it's not the same and so because this was found in its entirety and then given back to the people, so to speak, after a long time of um, not having any new who. I mean, this is, 90, I say, it's 92, so mm-hmm. um, there was there was no new who in the, on the horizon at all. It had been abandoned by the BBC. So this coming back 
And I mean, this this story already already had quite a strong reputation just from the audio. So to then get the pictures, mm. um, that is, I think, is long goes a long way to why this episode is so highly regarded. And until 2013, this was all that remained of Series Five of Troughton's run. Wow. Yeah. Mm. So um, I think that's why people like me and Mike. Although you, I think we could find some. I mean, I'm sure we will criticise the story as we go on because it's not perfect at all. No. Um, you know, not not gonna not gonna lie and sort of you know bend over backwards to say oh, it's completely perfect. But we would struggle to criticise it in, in any sort of objective manner mm. because That's fair we're enough. kind of we're kind of pre-programmed to love it. Yeah, it would be like if somebody if they found a, an unaired uh, episode of Star Trek from the original series. Uh, and I saw that, and I would probably just freak out about it and not sweat the the, the minutia. So I, I can dig that. Yeah, when I I did some research on it, and I, I saw I did see that it was a lost one, and and that explained a lot because I yeah. as I was watching it, I was unsure what your motives were for wanting me to come on for this one. Uh, I wasn't sure if this was you know if you wanted to see if I thought it was as terrible as everybody else does. Or or the opposite or what. And so after I finished watching it, I, I did some research into it to see where its place was and try to see if I could find some some trivia about its making and stuff like that. And yeah. I saw, you know, and I read the story of how it was it was lost and then found and and almost universally loved. There's a, there have been a few people who have who have said, you know, this isn't as great as everyone's saying it is, um, you know, and yeah, you could there, there's certainly lots to pick at if you want to. Um but for a show from 50-some-odd years ago, uh, uh, you know, that obviously had a tiny budget uh, and was still in the process of carving out its mythology, I think it was, it was perfectly fine. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, like I said, I don't have a problem with the story so much. Some of the motivations for the characters were a little vague. You know, maybe if I watched it another three or four times, uh, I might catch something. Uh, it just my biggest problem was it just there were a lot of scenes where it was we need to fill 24 minutes mm. everybody just sort of mill about for a bit and look scared um and then it was also like an expedition of people who absolutely hated each other <laughs> well i mean you know it's the expedition of um split motives so mm. these things come out as they go i mean essentially two of the side men is like blood from the mummy's tomb you know, mm. where they open a pyramid and it's cursed and they have to solve the hieroglyphics literally to get into the thing. So that's basically all this is. But with Scythe Men instead of, you know, Boris Karloff. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I think, really, when we talk... I think what I want to do, sort of talking about this, is I want to sort of talk about the story and then I want to kind of talk about the characters because I think the story is... Like you say, I think the game with me and Mike is that I've... How many times do you think you've seen this, Mike? Because for me, it's got to be a dozen times. Oh, yeah. So I think sometimes you just kind of skim over the problems because, like you say, the faults in logic that Rick's rightly pointing out, and hmm. you, you just sort of, having watched it so many times, you just go, oh, yeah, they're just... Don't worry about it. They'll be in the next room in a minute. <laughs> just... Yeah, oh, good. You know, they're, they're getting on with it sort of thing. So, like I say, is all the ethics of the Doctor and stuff, I kind of, I think we could talk about sort of separately, maybe, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, shall we talk a bit about, like I say, the story? Mm. So, um, 
obviously the the the, um, the basis of this is kind of the this this is pre Hammer Horror though really as well isn't it? Yeah, kind of. So is, yeah. it, it is is kind of the old the thirties kind of mm. idea of the the mummy and all these sort of things. Um, where should, if if so, Mike, what do you? think of so the, the story generally so just taking the characters out do you think it's i mean that's this is the problem because we sort of find it hard mm. to be objective with it yeah <laughs> i mean the idea is a solid one um i like yeah. the idea of you know the cybermen are more or less missing presumed extinct and mm. you know these group of archaeologists have these theories or hints of like where their last resting place might be or whether there are any like stragglers in god knows where so and the fact that this actually is some sort of sort of bizarre like long game by the cybermen to sort of like bring some like foolish you know inquisitive humans to their well what's classed as their home world it probably, probably was at the time because obviously mondas was long gone um so they had to like set up shop somewhere else and that sort yeah, of, was... that brings its own sort of continuity headaches a little down a little further uh, down the line but yeah uh, i was gonna say if you listen to our episode where <laughs> the last two episodes of the latest series where me and mike spent a considerable amount of time trying to work out where, where this is in cyber continuity um so i mean i've got to just we'll just sidebar a bit so rick does that make any more sense now that you've seen this or uh i'd, I'd have to go back and re-listen to it because right at, at the time a lot of what y'all were saying didn't mean anything to me oh well that's not the first time i've heard that yeah. so <laughs> <clears throat> i i do have a question though if hmm? One thing that was really puzzling, and and maybe it's because I don't, was this set up at all in the previous Cybermen episode? No. No. Okay. Because if they could build this elaborate tomb thing, why would they? Why why wouldn't they just go take over another planet? Why did they need to lure six or seven people to? I, I, I that part I didn't get, but maybe that's for a later question. Well. This is where we just go, oh, because this is what Cybermen do. They come up with a shit plan. <laughs> yeah. Because every time you see the Cybermen, apart from a few different, um, a few kind of notable exceptions, they're always on the brink of death. Mm-hmm. They're always just getting by. So, again, this is the bit where me and Mike would just skip over it. This is kind of Cybermen logic 101, that there's only six of us. We need more Cybermen. Mm-hmm. But we don't want any old Tom, Dick, and Harry turning up. Which again, they how fussy and not they are is is you know depends on which Cybermen you watch it, which Cybermen mm-hmm. episode you're watching. Um, and uh, yeah, so they decide that this is definitely the best way to get top quality human yeah. is to set up this uh, this sort of tomb. Um, you know, but again, it's that thing of well, why do anything? <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? <laughs> What's the point? What's the point? Yeah, just build a tomb. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you imagine the conversation? Like, I don't want to build a tomb. It's a shit idea. I said we're building a tomb. <laughs> Get into your box now, Bob. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the idea that, again, like like we've said, the Cybermen are struggling to survive. It's sort of like, in a way, you know, they kind of want to preserve what few resources they have left. So it kind of makes sense for them to put themselves to this sort of um, freezing to just to, like conserve what little they have left. And then 
you know, wait it out effectively and hope mm. that uh, some dumb shits, you know, some clever dumb shits, but some dumb shits nonetheless, <laughs> um, you know, just happen to come along. Then yep. why put a booby trap in or several? We only want the clever ones, mate. The ones that fall for the booby trap are no good. <laughs> yeah, they're easily bribed, you know. 50 also, m- can I just say, mm. that's a considerable amount of money. I'd probably do it for 50 quid now. Yeah. I think it's like 800 quid in today's money or something, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say, something it's like some that. serious wedge, yeah. yeah. Not an inconsiderable amount of money, 50 quid in those days. And, you know, still, I'd, I'd like to say, if someone said, get that door over 50 quid, I'll go, brilliant. <laughs> Give it- <laughs> I'll go and do it now. <laughs> But the the, uh, the 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 cyber mannequin, uh, I mean, it was it was great for. I'm sure that at the time, as a cliffhanger, uh, assuming you didn't know the title of the episode, <laughs> it would have been, you know, oh my god, it's a Cyberman. But well, then I mean, you say you Rick, you touched on it kind of a little bit earlier. If you saying, did they set this up? In these days, there's no setting up of anything. It's there's kind of there's continuity as such as about who the doctor is, who the companions are. You know, sometimes people come recurring characters come back. But as far as like, oh, the Cybermen did a dastardly another thing and, and built the tomb and then the doctors come back to it. Never anything like that. Nope. There's never any set up mm. because there was never any presumption that anyone would have ever watched Doctor Who before. Mm. Okay. So you see what I mean? So mm. it's always done as like the mostly in the classic days, these serials are done as kind of insulated things on their own it's not till m- years later that they start setting up things you know they're in separate serials for other things for for later sort of thing um and also when you're saying about the title most people would have no idea what these things were called you'd literally yeah, okay. just go doctor you know doctor who is always on at this time after match of the day turn it on and it's just whatever it is okay that's cool then what the hell was that psychedelic thingy? The psychedelic thingy. Oh, what oh. the thing that Jamie looks at? Yeah, and everyone says, "Don't look at it," and it's like, "I looked at the trap, Ray. <laughs> Nothing happened." <laughs> Choose the form of your destruction. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that, that, I think that was um, uh, the, Hayden. I think his name is the archaeology yeah. guy. Says it's sort of like a subliminal um, thing you're trained to see. Um, so I think it's like for like cyber targeting systems or something like that. Yeah, it's kind of like cyber training device slash sort of cyber brainwashing because again we're sort of we're creeping around this idea of the Cybermen sort of being people stuffed into you know metal boxes, you know metal suits essentially, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, who don't really want to be that way. So there's a certain amount of mental conditioning that comes with it. I mean, we're not quite getting into that because we're not quite sure about doing body horror on these things. And, you know, we, we just kind of hint at them but not really go the whole hog at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, because this is something that actually I'll bring up now. So this was designed for kids, Rick. So for kids, Sharon's age. Yeah, yeah. Can you I, imagine I was Sharon just... sitting through this? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I do. That is... That is one aspect of Doctor Who I keep forgetting, is that at, at least at this point still, uh, and I guess in theory today, although maybe not as much, it is a kid's show. Uh, and so, because like, that was a lot of, I was like, why are they taking so long just to put a metal arm on that dude? When, yeah. you know, we've been watching the Cybermen 
almost instantaneously transform people for how many seasons now? Um, so it, it's, it, it is difficult to remember to kind of unremember. Uh, yeah. I mean, cause that's, a, that kind of explains the minuscule budget also, because at this point, Doctor Who was classified in, in kids TV for, in the BBC. So that's why they've got a thruppany bit to do things with the, other se- other series have got much more money, so that's why they're kind of struggling along with with what they got here. Yeah, and, and it just it just they didn't seem all that menacing. There were there were all of these scenes where like they're in that room with all of the six thought out Cybermen, and they all kind of gather around the the captives menacingly. And then we cut to another room, and then we come back, and everybody's sort of against the wall, and the Cybermen are over here just sort of, I don't know, discussing football scores or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then oh, and then later on, when Klee gets the gun, which it's amazing he was the first one to think, hey, that thing had a gun. Let's go get it. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, How many times could someone have jumped him from behind when he was busy pontificating at other people? But... Uh, <laughs> Then finally, finally, the doctor does it. Um. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean the the pace is so much more ponderous, mm. and but that's just that's just kind of how telly was in this cut. I mean, you know, it's never been really like that in America. From uh, you know watching Star Trek, which is kind of in a similar kind of not quite as many years ago, but getting there, um, it's like night and day, and it's just it's just the way that we do things. I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um we, we, we're much more like i don't know especially in those days where people like i say you know people listening to the wireless and watching the only tv they might watch is like a play for today so like you know mm. a a kind of usually some sort of moral tale yeah um that, that that's, was on, so. that, that's kind of like how doctor who was shot at the time it was very yeah. as live as sort of like a play of the day that's why yeah. in this one there's like maybe it's only like 14 scenes to an episode but they're very long and you know at the time you know film and videotape was expensive so it wasn't just so easy that you can just go oh cut if somebody messes up a line and then you can just like go back because then you'd have to go right back to the very beginning of the scene um so that's why like when you do get the occasional fluff in shows like these they just have to like just work around it and just soldier on no no matter what it have to be something like spectacularly wrong to happen for him to go right cut we'll, we'll start Do over it again yeah yeah i mean because that bit where jamie and the doctor end up holding hands hmm. that was a bit of business that uh fraser hines and patrick Troughton worked out but they did it in, some, in sort of the time of day where they had no time left so it ended up being in the in the show because mm-hmm. they couldn't didn't have time to reshoot it or edit it out or anything like that so yeah, because they they knew um, the director wouldn't have gone for it. That they, they worked out to do it like in rehearsals, I think. And so, but yeah. they didn't like say anything. So when they just did it on the day, and they like, I mean, it was a lovely bit of business between them, and it's uh, mm. absolutely suiting for the the doctor and Jamie. Um, but they did it because they knew they would not if they like went to the director about it. it would have gone, no, 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 no. You know, let's do this properly. So. By just like going for it, they sort of forced it in the way into the episode because they knew they couldn't go back and redo it. Mm. So let me ask you guys something because you know this episode inside and out. Mm. The biggest thing I didn't get uh, was why did the Cybermen decide to go back into the tombs? Conserve power. 
but but why? Why did they? I mean, it, the, the the humans were in no way a threat to them. Did they decide they weren't worthy? And and so fuck it, these guys are a waste of time. Let's go back to sleep. What was the? I I didn't catch the why they went back in. Well, I mean, I've always sort of read that scene as if we don't need all the all of the Cybermen to essentially cyber convert these people. So. Mm-hmm. The ones of you that we can do without go back in and conserve power while we sort this out, essentially. Okay. Okay, that's cool. Also, we don't have to pay so many actors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that was my biggest problem, is that some of the motivations for, for stuff that happened were were a little vague. Uh, or or maybe they, you know, like I said, maybe if I watched it a couple more times, I'd, I'd, I'd you know... See, this is exactly why... You know, this is one of the things why you're here because me and Mike just go, oh, and they go back in the thing. Mm-hmm. Don't even question it. <laughs> they just that's just what they do. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> now, I'm, the the Cybermats. Yeah. Yes. I'm like I'm totally divided on them because right. from a from from a uh, doing the best with what you've got standpoint as a as a you know as a stage technician looking at them as props. Um, I'm very impressed with them. Mm. But I also, in my notes, have written Cybermat, most non-threatening monster ever made. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Now, again, I know that, you know, like you and, you know, seven inch screen, black and white, terrible resolution. But the felt teeth and what the, the Cybermen or the Cybermats never really seem to do anything except roll around. Now, I know in like by by Tom Baker's time, the Cybermets have have a you know they're a dangerous thing. Much um, bigger too in Tom Baker's time. The, the oh Cybermets. yeah, they're like a, a horseshoe crab by then. Or, or you yeah, know. they're big. Yeah. And also, I mean, um, they are in the regular in the new series. Also, they have popped up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, like like with the Cybermen, I, it it seems like back then the intention was all we have to do is show these things and say they're menacing and people will buy it. Which, if that's the conceit, that's cool. If that's how it worked back then, I can dig that. It just really didn't seem that... They didn't do anything other than be there. And then yeah. doctor, you know, the doctor's like, oh my god, it's a Cybermat! And everyone's like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think that, again, you just sort of struggle to put yourself in the mindset of someone who's like, you know, doesn't watch sci-fi, or maybe they've only watched stuff like that's on at the cinema at the time, so mm-hmm. like, you know, the day the Earth stood still and things like that. So... Mm-hmm. Um, you can't watch the telly and you see this like, oh, well, some, you know, sometimes like in, in horror movies or something, someone's obviously gone, oh, wouldn't it be cool if X? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the only reason that it's in there. It's kind of, that that's sort of what applies here. Um, but then also, you know, 50 years ago, I think this would have been genuinely quite creepy. Oh, yeah. Especially yeah. Cause, especially considering, like, you know, like the house, <laughs> some of the houses some people were living in them days. You probably see a woodlouse the size of that bloody thing running around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I will say this, uh, to to put put it into a bit of context, I think the Cybermats were a hell of a lot more menacing than the 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 thing from the horror at Fang Rock. <laughs> so, what the Rutan? Yes, the 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 bubble wrap with a glow stick in it. <laughs> oh, what the space cabbage? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I did have to laugh though. Uh, Two things about the Cybermen that made me that made me laugh. Um, they're bulletproof, but they're not console proof. That's right. Yeah. So you could shoot them, but if you throw them into a console, <laughs> well, you have, and to, you, full... you have to throw an empty one to the console, though. That's the difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, remember 
these things haven't got any spark plugs or you know surge protection. It's oh, like yeah. all the stuff on the Enterprise, you oh, know, just okay. just touch it. Yeah, yeah. So. And apparently they're full of shaving cream. Yes. Aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, um, you know, but again, you know, budgets. But I think as well, if I was, I'm like trying to sort of put myself like in my nan's shoes and like watching these sort of things on TV and just kind of like compared to everything else and mm. like having never seen anything like that before. I think that would kind of, that would have impressed me quite considerably, like seeing an effect like that, I think. But, you know, it's, but I, I think as well, as British people, I think we sort of look back on these things as lovable, whereas yeah. <laughs> other people would just go, oh, "That's just cheap and shit." But you well, know, again, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I know it sounds like I'm shitting all over this episode. No, I and... think well, everything you're saying is completely fair. I don't mm. think you're shitting on it at all. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't unbearable. There were a few times, you know, I was watching uh, most of it. I was watching at work because we're we're in the midst of gearing up towards the semester's actually beginning tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. so I've been, you know, kind of taking a break from, from cleaning the shop and I'd come and watch one of the, one of the, uh, episodes. And there were, there were a few times where it was like, all right, can we get on with this, please? Let's go. <laughs> um, but for the most part, it was, it was not painful. Um, I, I do think, well, granted you have to accept the, the time that something is made in. I don't think we can completely ignore the blatant sexism and racism that's in the episode. Yes, I think oh, yeah. we'll, we'll we'll step into that in a minute because that's why I wanted to kind of put this, just examine the story on its own, and then we'll we'll talk about its many miscellaneous problems here as well. Um, yeah, so yeah, I just I don't think you're being unfair to it at all. Um, I think that it's. I mean, this is this is where I kind of think people, you know, sort of old fans and people who've never seen it kind of separate because there are lots of episodes, lots of serials that are like this. Mm-hmm. to be frank, if I'm putting my hand on my heart. Ones that, you know, a bit too long and a bit too janky and just a little bit doesn't sort of skim over, you know, the plot holes and things like that. But because you've seen it so many times and because you see, you know, you have such kind of a nostalgic feeling towards it, you, you're kind of prepared to hand wave it off. Whereas I think that someone who comes to it, you know, new, so to speak, um, is quite right to point out it's it's flaws but i think that unfortunately as old fans we so we sometimes find that painful it's like criticizing <laughs> my kid or my pet or my husband mm. it's like i can shit on it you can't <laughs> yeah. yeah oh i'm i'm the same way about you know about uh, star trek the original series when someone who grew up watching uh, you know their first star trek was the next generation or deep space nine or voyager or enterprise or mm-hmm. you know now in in a couple of weeks it'll be discovery you know and they're like oh god the cardboard sets and the and the dog with the the horns glued to its head are you fucking kidding me um and you know i'm like hey you know that's like making fun of your grandfather mm-hmm. yeah because your your dad is a cool dude and your grandfather isn't but your dad wouldn't be here you know so i i totally get it um, there, there is one other thing that I just have to point out. Yeah, is that they said it's quiet down there. Yeah, too quiet, and they weren't <laughs> being ironic. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, talking about grandparents, I think this gives us a nice segue into, like you say, the problematic parts of this episode. Mm. Because to me, I think sometimes watching this, and you're dead right about those problems, but it's a bit like your racist auntie. 
Yeah. yeah. You just have to just go, stop. No, I'm not listening. Go away. Get in a cupboard. Bugger off. I don't want to talk to you. You know, it's not worth the argument with you. I can't. My mum will yell at me if I yell at you. It's like, it's kind of that. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of that old person racism. Yeah, yeah. That I feel like, because because of the time it was made, and it's not an excuse. No. But you know, and well, <laughs> we we should fully acknowledge it. So. Yeah. And that's the thing; you can't really do anything about it. it just no. that was, it was the way it was, you know. And we can all we can do is just like, say, well, you know, let's let's just like take that as an example of how you not do things. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is again, this is a problem that besets. Doctor Who. I mean, not as badly as it could have done, but mm. I mean, you've got episodes like The Talents of Wen Chiang, yes. which, yeah. you know, are extremely beloved, but extremely racist. Yeah. yeah. There's quite yeah. a lot of yellow face in that. Yeah, <laughs> quite a lot. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, because Toberman is just the awful black slave archetype. Yeah. Although they didn't... It, it, uh, this may sound apologetic, and I'm I'm not trying to be, but I was I was afraid it was going to be a lot worse than it was. Yeah, because I mean the, the Doctor treats him with dignity, and then mm-hmm. so yeah. do the and so do the companions. The ones who's worst to him is Kaftan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who, you know, dumbest name of all time, woman. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, because you have that kind of obviously they have the pat the master and mistress you know, the mistress and and slave relationship, and it's it's extremely problematic. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I wish it wasn't in it, but um, well, didn't yeah, I read um, that she was a last minute addition? She was like the producer's girlfriend or something like that, and wife. They wrote the part for her, her um, wife. No, I yeah. d- I don't know if I don't know if there was. I think I think the part was written with her in mind, and I think mm. it was a, uh, because of she was uh, Shirley, Shirley Cooklin, of course. We're talking about, um, and she was the producer's wife. There was a sort of bit of oh yeah, a bit of casting couch or something going on, some like gossip like that, but. At the time, I think she was like known for these sort of roles, where mm. she would like play somebody of sort of vague European origin, um, mm-hmm. which is basically what her uh, character and um, George Pastel's Klieg are. This, yeah. they, they, they are the foreigners, you know, the Johnny foreigners mm-hmm. um, yes. of this. Um, but um, yeah, I think that the part was like written like for her, um, and you're right that the. the it's her relationship with Toberman is a lot much more, you know, you'll you'll do as you're told, uh, yeah. sort of thing. And um, I think I think one of the original plans for Toberman was he was supposed to have a hearing aid. Like yeah, he was, was going to yeah. be deaf. deaf. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that he had a, a, a hearing aid would have been uh, mm. a, a, the Cybermen would have exploited that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I guess they decided that was too expensive or too complicated or something i think it was the fact that i think they they couldn't really work out how to get that across on tv if you mm. see what i mean yeah um yeah. obviously again because if the sort of techniques are much more primitive then i mean i think just when it came up sort of like good idea but oh we can't manage it so just chuck it in sort of thing um i mean if we're talking about this story as i'd say just essentially a lift of a sort of blood from the mummy's tomb type thing i mean you kind of quite rightly point out i mean because mike you sort of 
sparked something in my mind that essentially the Doctor Victoria and Jamie are like the proper British people who turn up and explore properly. Yeah. Then you have <laughs> the evil Johnny Forens, mm-hmm. Cleek, Kaftan and Toberman. Yeah. And then you have the kind of brash, inverted commas, Americans <laughs> who turn up with guns and shouting. <laughs> so this is kind of like... But they're the ones driving the rocket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's a big space penis, isn't it? Mm. It's just a, you know, America. Symbolism. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, if you want a microcosm of Britain in <laughs> in the 1960s Britain, here it is. Yeah, I mean, you've also got like the, the sort of, like the well-meaning sort of professor who's Welsh, and then you've got yes. um, uh, his like psychic Viner who's just sort of like fear coming out of every pore in his face. <laughs> yes, because the Welsh are sort of at this point a kind of adorable, cuddly people. Yeah. Who, you know. Um, you want to hear my notes on that guy? Uh, yeah. yeah. Cowardly scientist needs to visit the wizard up. Never mind. <laughs> yep. Yeah, pretty much. If only had the noive. <laughs> that, that was, you know, it was. It, I, I, I can't say that. that you know, Dan O'Bannon had in any way ever seen this episode or something, but in a way it was, it was alien-esque in, and, and I suppose the group of people being picked off one by one is not an uncommon script, but uh, mm. mm-hmm. there were a lot of expendable people in that group. Oh, yeah. And yet the group never seemed to get smaller. <laughs> Welcome to Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I mean, because if, you, if, if you're a person who's looking at modern Doctor Who and wondering why the Doctor gets shit on so much for you know, the Doctor must suffer, especially in Stephen Moffat's eyes. This sort of thing is why. That you have these giant expendable casts and the Doctor gives about as much of a shit about it as a cheese sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's very few of the deaths in this story sort of get remarked about. I mean, like, Viner loses his shit, but, you know, that's just what he does. Um, but for the most part, a lot of the deaths are just sort of like, oh, well, I mean, this was Doctors 1 through 4. Now, oh, if someone yeah. dies, it also goes, oh. well, moving on. Yep. <laughs> Next. Have Next. You, have you, all, yeah. you, you all have seen the movie Clue, right? Yes. You know, that, po- that point in the movie where they, fi- they find someone else dead and, and they're just like, ah, oh, fuck. And then they all turn around and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sort of standing operative procedure for uh, Doctor Who, really, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, so this is why in Stephen Moffat's eyes, the Doctor must suffer mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of things like this and his ethics here, which I'm sort of kind of di- kind of dying to talk about because this is, I mean, because this is this is early days of the Second Doctor, we're, so we're still kind of feeling this out a little bit. Mm. But um, this is the Second Doctor in a nutshell, and as someone who myself is, you know, I hold my hands up and say is an insufferable know-it-all. The Doctor here really, it, it, his know-it-allness kind of buggers it because it's the thing about they're struggling with your logic and he can't help but explain it mm. and if he hadn't bothered explaining it we would have all been home for tea yeah yeah <laughs> well you know i was expecting him and again this is i guess because of what we're used to watching now i was expecting him to be have something up his sleeve yeah because he did he literally kept saying well you do this this and this but don't do that and then they'd do it, and he would just sort of sit, stand back there and impassively watch and just say, Jamie, come back here, just get out of the range of fire. Yeah, stand back a bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then it'd be like, oh, well, we need to do this. No, no, you need to do that. But don't! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah and this is where the moral part becomes in because this is the, this is doctor second doctor especially and a lot of you know the early ones 101 mm-hmm. in that when you're in a situation like this the doctor will do this he will give you everything you want but it's uh, or you say you say but don't do it and if you then proceed to do it what he asks you to do the doctor up to a point will then go this wanker is a lost cause these are the evils <laughs> therefore you may die at your leisure yeah so when the doctor has decided that there is no hope for you you are obviously some sort of corrupt you know bad bad man then fuck yeah you should if you know if you want to press the buttons i told you to press you press them mate you go right ahead and yeah. die mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting because there's a few parts in this where it kind of almost feels a little bit seventh doctor-ish in the way he sort of yes. like sees like how people are like trying to, I mean, he sort of cottons on to Cleek quite quickly. He doesn't know exactly yeah. what he's up to, but he just has exactly. this sort of vibe about him because obviously he's a Johnny foreigner. Um, yeah. But also, you know, the bit where he's going through the sequence to open the main hatch down to the tombs, there's a definitely there's a, like a clear shot of the Doctor like pressing this one button that will actually solve the make it work. From, yeah, make it work. Yeah, because again, that's that's the that's the insufferable know it all part. He can't stand there and not let him do it wrong because he's like, I know it. I'm just going to press it because yeah. you know we haven't got time for this. But then, so the other thing is, the minute that the doctor decides that Cleeg is a bad, that's it. Yeah, you know, you're on the road to destruction. The doctor will not help you in any way. Come back from that. Yeah. This one, and you're dead right because they. This is exactly what they wanted the seventh doctor to be like. Mm-hmm. This whole idea that he is an alien, he has a separate morality to you and me, mm-hmm. and perhaps more than any other doctor, the the second doctor is on a mission. Yeah. To 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 wipe the scum from the universe oh, yeah. because I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, it's what he says in the moon base, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. The evils in this in this universe at every corner there must be fought. Yeah, and no other doctor's really been like that. Mm. He is the, you know, the the one who will bring bring order to the universe. I mean, you know, <laughs> you have the tenth doctor do, you know, you know, the time lord, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but the second doctor really like because the first doctor is is definitely not like that. So when he regenerates mm-hmm. and he sees what's been going on, this doctor puts his foot down and says, "No, that's it. I'm going to come and you know fight the scum of the universe. Mm-hmm. Come on, kids." Yeah. And now, now this was this was the first episode for the second doctor, right? No. No. This, this is his, this is his, the second series of Patrick Troughton's run. Um, oh, this is the oh, so the first yeah. episode of his se- Oh, okay. So the character's established. He's not still yes. finding his way through it. Okay. It, okay. Yeah, his, his first one, his first proper story was Power of the Daleks, um which got brought back last year, I think is a fully animated yes. uh feature. Yes. Um, so the, um, he's been like knocking around with Jamie for a, a little bit, um, and Victoria debuted in the uh, last sh- show of the previous series, Evil of the Daleks, which is yeah. why when they have that uh, chat, that's why he, like mentions characters like Maxable and Victoria's father because they were supporting cast in the previous story. Okay. Now, yeah. for for those of us who are numerically challenged, which one was number seven? That was Sylvester McCoy. Okay, thank you. He, he, that was Ghostlight. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, I, mean, I couldn't. That's... I couldn't figure out the Doctor in this one. I couldn't figure out his game because he really seemed to be a dispassionate observer, 
all the way up until the end when it, it and and if if there had even been a, a sense of exasperation like all right you fuckers just aren't getting this i'll step in there wasn't even that it was just like okay now i'm gonna do something yeah mm. it, it, it to me it's a bit like you know when your mum you, you say to your mum i'm gonna go and do this and your mum's like okay go do it then yeah. <laughs> I'll see you later. I've got the plasters in the put in the thing over here. <laughs> you know, you, your mum watches you set up that skate jump, knowing exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know, I told you so. So this is exactly kind of what the doctor is like in this mm-hmm. to me. I wonder if like the the parts where he's sort of like helping things along is for him to like kind of speed up process because he I think he gets the the sense that. They'll probably figure out eventually, but if I give them a helping hand, then we can actually get around to kicking the Cybermen's asses and like yeah. sorting thing, sorting shit out ahead of schedule, and then we can bugger off for tea. <laughs> that's that's the kind of sense I got from it, but obviously it's not. You know, it's it's this it's the sort of thing that obviously it sort of brought more to the fore with the Seventh Doctor, and yeah. like some incarnations as well. So I think it was yeah, like um... the feeling out of the the character. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, this doctor above all is making waiting for you to make the right choice. Mm-hmm. That above all things, you know, he will stand there and you know help you do it. But you know, there there will come eventually a fork in the road where you can go bad or good. And the doctor is standing there waiting for you to do whichever. Mm-hmm. And then once you sort of go down, start down one path, that is it for this doctor anyway. Yeah. Where it, whereas when you get later and later, and obviously sort of modern as well, the Doctor will almost will kind of enterprise to save everybody at all costs. Mm-hmm. Kind of almost no one is too far gone. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whereas with the with the early Doctors, especially the second, there is a cut. There is a red line, and once you step over it, you are done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Capaldi's first season was a lot like that. Which is why it sort of rankled, I think, for yeah. some people. Yeah, because you hadn't you hadn't really had. I mean, you had moments in Eccleston's run. Um, Tenth Doctor also. I mean, what happens with the family of blood? Yeah, um, but I mean, I think Tenth Doctor is and probably the eleventh, uh, sort of like the the year examples of um, you know, I'll give you so many chances and you still throw it back in my face. You know what I mean? Like um, the, even like like. The one thing that always jumps to my mind is Journey's End, when everything's going to shit around, like with the Daleks' plan, and you know the Doctor says to Davos, "Come on, I can help you," and Davos basically goes, "No, fuck you! You fucking started this. Fuck <laughs> off." Yeah, but I mean, if it was the second Doctor and Davros, mm-hmm. the Doctor would be like drop kicking him out the nearest airlock. <laughs> but the, every every the, the later Doctor is like, even to the bitter end, mm-hmm. he's like, take my hand, we can sort this out. It doesn't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I will mean, say yeah. this. Mm-hmm. I will say Go this about on. Toberman. Uh, a little little apropos of nothing, but uh, his well, we're not worried about. Spoiling at this point, are we now? His uh, <clears throat> his death was totally his choice. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was so. And I could. That's why I think the. Well, it has to be acknowledged. You know, as soon as Toberman showed up on the screen, I was like, I know what's going to happen to him. Um, mm-hmm. And it didn't go as bad as I thought it would. And his, you know, I don't want to say his redemption because he never went evil, but. You know, despite what happened to him, he made the choice to save everyone. Uh, break at, away at from Caftan. Ex- yeah. 
mm-hmm. which was I think that was cool. It was it was more of a, a Queequeg sort of thing than a than a um, uh, you know. Than, Problem is than... every time people say that, I think of Scully's dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I was literally my mind went what the dog oh okay yes the, the Moby Dick yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that um, it was that one episode of QI where uh, Vic Reeves was on and they were talking about Moby Dick and uh, he said um, that his first name was Starbuck who liked coffee yeah. oh that's a really have you seen an episode actually where it's another one with Vic Reeves on of QI mm-hmm. where he says he had this thing with Tom Baker because they're mates oh, yes and um, Tom Baker the... one day literally out of the blue came up to Vic and says here Vic I think you might find this book interesting and it's a book about gay pirates <laughs> suddenly in the pirate somewhere. <laughs> yeah Jim I think you might find this interesting interesting yes ah <laughs> uh, lovely um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like you say about Tobin choosing to to step away from Kaftan again. This is again in the big book of Doctor Who cliches. This has got to be one of the biggest, the one at the top of the list, and it. Mm-hmm. It like a lot of horror movies have a final girl. Episodes of Doctor Who's must have like the sacrificer, the one yeah. who goes and gives their life so that others may live. Mm-hmm. The the other two of the, the crew they came with, pretty much. <laughs> And, yeah. and the, the Doctor and his companions, of course. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, another, yeah, another Doctor Who cliche, the ones where they have the cast and literally no one is left for the Doctor and the companions. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's, here's one question. Um, you know that guy that Cleeg shot um, as the cliffhanger for part three? Well, he was yeah. taking him in the Doctor and... Um, it was Callum, I think it was, his name was, and he took the shot from... Like, what happened to him? Did he get carted out? Did he die? Or... Yeah. yeah, maybe the Cybermen picked him up. He just sort of disappears, though, because I mean, I know yeah. like Victoria was like tending to him when he was when she was being held hostage by uh, Cleeg and Kafton, whilst the others were bundled in with the cyber controller and the the rejuvenation um, machinery. But after that, he just sort of disappears, and I was like, okay, so um, what happened there? <laughs> yeah, I can't answer that. <laughs> mm. I don't know what no. happens to him. But again, it's a thing that we would we would never even bring up. I don't think if we were just me and you doing this. Mm. The bodies just sort of disappear. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's really all I... I uh, let me see. I, the only other thing I had, which was absolutely flippant as hell, was when they when they went back up from, you know, climbing back up and they sent Jamie up first. I'm like, send the guy in the skirt up first. Ew. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of uh, sort of unintentional upskirting um, yeah. with, with Jamie. It happens more than I'm really comfortable with. Um <laughs> Um, so, I mean, what we could do is actually talk a bit about the companions, because I mm. think one of the reasons why this story is so beloved is, I mean, because we talked about the dubious morality of the second Doctor, but he's he's entirely remembered as entirely, like, lovable and mm. sort of a lovely, like, dad sort of um, character by people like me and Mike, I think. And very, very strongly, I mean, the 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 thing about Victoria trying to deal with the grief of losing her dad and the doctor saying about, you know, she's worried about how old the doctor is and he's saying about his family sleep in his mind. If I want to bring him back, I can. That is one of the iconic scenes in Doctor Who, full stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that was that was very yeah. sweet. And the only reason it's there because of the episode was running short. Yeah. And I, I remember pondering because have we don't very often see the doctor sleep 
No, it's this thing about you know. Oh, I mean, because there was a thing about he doesn't really seem to sleep or eat or drink, and then the unless it's the, a bowl of soup. Yeah, or you know, like a sandwich. <laughs> I mean, you do, or you know, like yeah. Or, um, so um, it was one of these things just to make him seem more alien that he doesn't mm. seem to sleep or eat or do these things. He does. It, I mean, it's one of those things of like if you read the books, there's these things about you know the Doctor Kipping for like he'll like go for a week and then sleep for twelve hours and then sort of come back and things like that. It's it's one of those things you just seem makes him seem different. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's. Um, uh, it, it's one of those things they just kind of keep vague because, for that reason, I think. Um, so when you're sort of, talk, I mean, for me, just I bring it up because, you, you know, we've talked to, picked up the doctor's ethics, but it's so weird how he's sort of viewed in this kind of very rose-tinted specs way. And I think a lot of that is to do with that scene and mm. just the way he is with Victoria and Jamie. Yeah. Because especially that relationship between Jamie and the doctor, mm-hmm. like, um, the, Jamie is, I think, still holds the record for longest running companion on telly. So, yeah, probably something like that. I think so. And I'll say they, the chemistry between Fraser Hines and Patrick Trout, I think, is evident. And it, mm. it, they brought it to the screen. And, um, yeah, I don't know what it is. I mean, but watching those two, I couldn't put my finger on what I particularly like about it. But honestly, with those two are sort of some of the best, um, one of the best kind of Doctor and companion relationships. I think it's quite significant. It's met two men as well yeah. where the doctor is so associated with you know here's the doctor and here's the girl companion mm-hmm. yeah indeed i mean it, very rarely were the doctor and jamie just like traveling on their own they always had no. like, a, a female the only exception i think is the two doctors and that was in 1980 yeah. odd so yes but i mean apart i mean i would have loved to say like more where just those two but I don't know. I think it's more sort of like I think it's sort of like the, de- the demographic sort of thing. Like they have to have like a youngish girl with them to appeal to like the the female side of the audience watching at home. Mm. Um, but you know, it, I think the way the reason why the second Doctor and Jamie just work is they, like I say the chemistry between Troughton and Hines. You know, mm. we've we've said plenty about like Matt Smith and uh, Jenna Coleman, and and indeed Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman. It's like sometimes it just it just clicks, you know, and it's, it's the sort of thing you can't like like force, um, you, you know, this like rapport between them. But you know, when when basically when the, like the planets align, you know, it's mm. brilliant, and I think that's yeah. that's really sort of it. And also it's like you know Jamie's. You know, not adverse to calling the doctor out. You know, he sort of protests yeah. when they're trying to help the cyber controller in that. And I think in Evil of the Darks, he had a bit where he mouthed off to the doctor for for his plan. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, like you said, it's just the way they bounce off one another. I mean, we cited mm. the, the holding hands bit. Um, but also uh, in part two, after um, Hayden gets shot and they're trying to repeat the sequence to find out what actually killed him. You know, the doctor gets Jamie to, like, man the controls. And he says to everybody else in the room, you know, there's a significant element of risk I like to do. So if anyone wants to leave, and Jamie turns, he goes, not you, Jamie. <laughs> Jamie just turns around, Fuck, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, you know, if you were to sort of dig down again into the morality of, you know, taking someone from the 16th century and subjecting them to this, yeah. um, it's pretty dubious. But again, you kind of brush over it because mm. they kind of don't make a big thing of, of his past. And 
sort of Victoria is kind of sort of unique in this way in that we sort of dig into her family and, and how it's affected her because normally you have a companion they're in a story and then when you take them out of that bubble of that serial mm-hmm. they're like kind of a blank slate and they just kind of do whatever the story, next story requires of them yeah um you know, they, they, they did sort of experiment with, with more bits. I mean, like, you know, sort of the end of the second Doctor's time where they go back to uh, the companions that he had go back to where he found them, essentially. So you would yeah. have had to have known where they came from. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but um, I was going to say, if this was being made now, <laughs> um, yeah, you would you would have a, a considerably more problems with someone who doesn't even know what electricity is. Mm. <laughs> Speaking as the person, the, the, the reason you brought me here, <laughs> as it were, um, I really didn't find Jamie or uh, Victoria that integral to the story. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I mean, yeah. the, 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 the sweet scene with, with the doctor and Victoria was nice. Mm. Uh, it was nice that they were talking about how old he was and his family and stuff like that, because you never hear him talk about his family. Um but other than that, she was just basically told, no, sit down, get out of the way, don't go, stay here. Oh, here's a here's a pretend reason why I need you to stay here so that we don't have to worry about you when we go down there. No, don't, no, don't, no, don't. Um, mm. And with Jamie, I, re- I, I just because all I know is this one episode, you know, this one, st- you know, for this, this story. I didn't get a whole lot of connection between him and the doctor other than they knew each mm. other. Yeah, I just think it's difficult because you haven't seen it essentially. It's sort of a bit mm-hmm. like if you watch Next Gen and it's one mm-hmm. of those ones where uh, Marina Sirtis is in it for 30 seconds. Yeah. And yeah. then you go, I don't get why Diane, Deanna's in this and I thought she was meant to be shagging Riker and they didn't even look at each other this <laughs> one, you know, and all this sort of thing. So it, it's kind of a bit like that. Taking in isolation, it's difficult to... Yeah, I, I, I completely understand what you're saying. And I think, again, it's one of the things we just kind of skim over because that is how Doctor Who works. Yeah. <laughs> it's so easy to just go, right, okay, this is what the companions do, this is what the Doctor does, and kind of just go, okay, that's that's just what it is. Yeah. You know, they are, the Doctor will use, especially the second Doctor, will use Jamie and Victoria or Jamie and Zoe as like, okay, right, you go and do this, you go and do that, I'll do the third thing, and then we'll, you know, we'll we'll work it out. Assuming you survive, we'll get back together yes. later. <laughs> it does, now this episode does, now this, this is an ongoing problem, especially for those of us over here in the colonies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to get old episodes of Doctor Who. Is it? It's very hard. Oh. Uh, Amazon has like a sprinkling and it's it's even harder to find it streaming um you know you can buy dvds that have you know highlights of the fourth doctor or highlights of or you know stuff like that but if you know i can't sit down and say all right i'm going to start watching at the unearthly child and finish with time of the doctor or whatever uh, you know i can't do that without dropping hundreds of dollars on dvds See, I knew that. I knew that. Obviously, they the key to Doctor Who being be, continuing to be successful was to make it available. And um, I think there is sort of just a push. To be honest, that they've made like we've made you these lovely DVDs. Don't you want to buy them? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think there is a little bit of resistance to streaming, especially of the old stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can get it on Netflix here, but I mean, by no means all of it. No. No. You can get no. All the now, new you stuff. can get every everything from Christopher Eccleston on is available. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's not a problem. <laughs> Again, like I say, we made you these lovely DVDs. Why won't you buy them? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Please buy our lovely DVDs. We're still paying for the production. All the, we're still paying for all the info text and the uh, commentary and the documentary that's on every single disc and all this sort of thing. Yeah, Vidfire and things like the, the yeah. actual process they use to like clean up the episodes to make them like properly viewable. Because I mean, a lot of sort of the first second Doctor stuff is probably sort of like secondhand copies from you know far flung corners of the globe. You know, yeah, because what, which one of it is? Oh, I can't remember which one it is that it was rescued because a Canadian fan literally plugged something to the back of his TV and recorded it like that, and that was the only one that survived. I think it might might Mind of Evil actually. I think that's the only way that survived. Yeah, possible. Yeah, I think it might have been one of yeah. those, or maybe it was like Invasion of the Dinosaurs or something. Yeah, I, I do wonder if we should have maybe rather than watch it however you watched it watch it how me and mike would watch it the first time on like a sixth generation vhs copy <laughs> <laughs> so something that looks like it's been taken off at you know the voyager probe and been brought back <laughs> actually worse resolution than that seven inch black and white tv screen <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. You, you, literally it's not a thing unless you have to sort you know be sitting there doing the tracking thing on your vhs player oh god <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Well, that's why there was a when I when I did some, you know, when I was looking up the episode last night uh, and I found I found a site that had some like behind the scenes pictures and stuff. And that's like, you know, uh, they were talking to people that made it. And then there was a listing of of errors in the episode. Mm-hmm. And one of them, you know, if, if you if you've watched it, you you, you see the, the cable that lifts Toberman yeah. up when the Cyberman yeah. throws. like, so what? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Uh, that's that to me isn't a big deal. I, I just saw it went okay, fifty years ago. Let's move on. And yeah. they were like bitching about boom boom mic shadows and shit like this. Mm-hmm. You can see this like in in um, um, pyramids of Mars. There's a scene where Sutek is is in his chair and there's a you know, some poor technician <laughs> is just behind it. You see his hand reach up and move something. That's and called the hand of, of Sutek. Yeah, yeah. The, hand of, the hand of Sutek. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, even like there's a bit when um, they're making this the escape from the tombs, and the bit where the, the Cyberman grabs the Doctor as just as he's coming out the uh, hatch, and you know, the bit where Victoria comes picks up the flask to try and whack the Cyberman, you hear this song, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, like, but there's loads of them. I mean, you could make that if you put a thing on, you know, on YouTube of like, you know, Doctor Who bloopers, the thing would be about eight hours long. Mm, I mean. Yeah. You know, all the way through. I mean, like the the five doctors. There's a side man wearing jeans in it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that? Well, because you know that that one that the side man who grabs the doctor through the the, the stone wall. Mm-hmm. He's obviously just got the glove on. You can see the bloke's jeans <laughs> in the shot. Yes. Uh, man, but I'm... you know, I don't cons- I don't think that kind of stuff is fair game for an errors in the episode. You know, list. I think that's. You know, if you want to put it in a bloopers list somewhere, but you know, when I see when I see a list of errors, I'm I'm looking for, you know, so and so did this in this scene, and then in the later scene he didn't, and you know that kind of stuff. But just you know, picking on the production itself, I think that's you know kicking someone that's on the ground already. That's not fair. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. actually, the the production team were quite. 
as long as, especially a lot of the actors, the doctors especially, the uh, William Hartnell was very on this. I mean, he was always very insistent of when I boot up the TARDIS, I always press the buttons in the same sequence every time because kids mm-hmm. reckon, re- realize these things. Oh yeah. So they, they they didn't sweat the small details. I mean, again, it's like as we were saying, these were filmed as live, so you kind of just had to roll with whatever you had. Um, so, but it's you can you can let these things go because. I think ultimately what it boils down to is the people who made this show cared a lot about it mm-hmm. and yeah. cared about what they were putting out and wanted kids to love it and to love the second doctor and all the companions and to the doctor to defeat the baddies and put the Simon men back in the tomb and everyone back to the TARDIS and onto our next adventure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is significant that the doctor says to Victoria, one of the first things he says in this series is, do you want to come with us on our adventures? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that point is key because this is what it's all about. Yeah, I, you know, and and I meant what I said. I would love yeah. it, and I haven't even got anywhere near the skills to do it. I would love to no. see somebody edit these down to, you know, thirty or forty minutes of just the story, and kind of cut out a lot of the padding that was obviously there to make this thing fill the twenty-four minutes they had to. Uh, I think it would it would just be it would just crack along. I think it would be awesome. Um, mm. See, know, I'm kind of look- not. I'm kind of not down with that because I kind of mm-hmm. love all I can, the, the the pace of it is is part of its. It's just part of its fabric. It's kind yeah. of like cutting a limb off somebody to me. If you go, mm-hmm. if you did di- like digest Doctor Who like that, I mean, I appreciate that. You know, it it would speed things up and you know it would be better. But I think it's just for me. I mean, sort of obviously, I'm coming at it from like an extremely prejudiced viewpoint. Yeah. But for me, I, I it would just lose all of its charm if you if you did that to me. But I, I understand where you're coming from, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it would be one thing if it was made that way. But it's it's. I mean, because I mean, sometimes with the with the DVD releases. Sometimes directors will go back and make sort of like a, sort of like a movie length quote unquote edit, and sometimes they'll yeah. add little bits and pieces, and you know that's all very well and good. And sometimes it works, but a lot of the times it's sort of like, okay, great. I mean, what was wrong with it before? Yeah, I mean, I mean like you you say, I mean, like Green the Green Death, for example, mm-hmm. is one of the famous ones that was edited down to like an omnibus edition, yeah. as they were called them, and then they put it out on like a Sunday night in, in like a like a sort of movie length type thing, mm-hmm. and I mean, because the Green Death is extremely long, so yeah. you know there are you know and things like Doctor Who and the Silurians, where you do have sort of five solid minutes of people looking at slides, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it, it, it you can you can live without it. But I don't I don't know some of the quite a lot of these ones, like the four episodes, again because we, we're used to the format, mm-hmm. we're used to the pace, mm-hmm. we're used to the we're used to it. I just I it it would pain me to see like a thirty minute version of this because I mean it's a bit like the um, the edited down. Um, oh gosh, what's that Tom Baker one? Uh, it's another Cybermen one. It's revenge. it's Revenge. Yeah, there's yeah. a there's a there's an edited down version of Revenge of the Cybermen, mm. um, which is what came out on the VHS tape the first time it came out mm-hmm. for forty quid Whoa. in eighty <laughs> four, I think it was. Jesus. So that was a lot of money mm. then. For mm-hmm. a VHS tape of an edited down Revenge of the Cybermen, Oof. which is gash. Yeah. It is like, it's, it's pish. Mm. I mean, it, it doesn't, it just doesn't flow the right way. And then, you know, it's sort of like, you know, you know, you, you have like 
low fat frogurt and then yeah. you have a tub of Ben and Jerry's and it's like they're not the same I'll have the bit they're not the same yeah. I don't care how much you tell me nurse they're not the same yeah <laughs> the, the weird thing is I mean sorry we're going on to a bit of a tangent here but you know yeah. like some of like the the Colin Baker stories which were made as 45 minutes installments so like like two parts mm. rather than four there was a time where I don't know whether it's like for overseas broadcast or whether they were doing it like for like repeats, but they would like take like the forty-five minutes part and then try and separate them down into two parts themselves. So you end up with these yeah. really weird cliffhangers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very strange. I mean, it's gonna say. I mean, yeah, the, the I mean, because again, the Doctor Who is built to go to a cliffhanger mm-hmm. in, in these days. So it, as I say, I think sort of taking. Yeah, sort of trying to move those around, it just doesn't. I don't know, because I'm just so used to how it is. I kind mm. of can't conceive of it being any different. Well, let, let me let me clarify uh, yeah. just a little bit. I don't want to eliminate the full version. Yeah, I'm glad to have watched the full version. I would like to see it, uh, like a companion to it, to mm. see yeah. if if you you know if it's any better. It, yeah, yeah, to to just sort of streamline it. Because I, I, you know, that that's how I, I see it in my head is that, okay, this was how it was done in 1960, whatever, mm-hmm. um, or 70. When, when did this one 67. come out? I didn't, 67. 67. Okay. Um, if you could edit it for a 21st century aesthetic, would it work any better? I guess is is the question I have. I think I said mm. that is an interesting question. Yeah. Um, I just think it, it would be quite difficult. I think the camera moves would kind of almost prohibit it because the way that we shoot tv now mm-hmm. it's very dynamic and the camera's always moving around the the the, the actors and things like that i mean because like i say in these days when it was like done as a play you mm-hmm. often have a room and everyone you've got four people standing in a semicircle yeah and the camera is static yeah you, yeah. Have, to, so... you have to plot out where you put your cameras that was a very big thing back then because obviously these big huge things these behemoths yes. oh yeah of film equipment and you know you've got these electrical cables and you cannot you know it's like ghostbusters you cannot cross the streams you cannot yes. let those wires touch otherwise everything would just like i don't know explode or something so it's very deliberate the way it's all set out and shot. I, mean, I think there was even like the, the famous story for this one is um the camera plans or something didn't work with the set so they actually had to move the set just like slightly to the right for everything to work yeah. out yeah, and remember at the, the time as well, the BBC was heavily unionised. So mm-hmm. you have one bloke who does the cameras, and there's yeah. a bloke who does the cable for the cameras, and there's a bloke who's, who moves the, the set, and the bloke who moves the props, but not the set. And mm-hmm. God help you if you're a bloke who does the cables who moves who touches a prop, because everyone will go on strike. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's still very much in play today. You don't, you don't cross the... Yeah, you don't cross yeah. the line. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... I mean, because Colin Baker tells a story about uh, filming an episode uh, on a beach and there mm. was one bit, little tiny bit, like a stone or something, that was a prop. And he tells a story about a bloke who basically sat there in a deck chair all day. And then when it came for the time to use the prop, Colin Baker bent down to pick it up and the bloke said, oh, no, no, sir, I'll do that for you. Picked it up and gave it to Colin and went and sat back in his deck chair. And that was it. Because... <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard from a friend of mine who was on tour with a show once uh, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. 
you you have the Teamsters who are the the that's the union that handles truck drivers in the United States. I don't know if it, if they're elsewhere. Everything I know, you, I must say, this is the part where I say everything I know about the Teamsters I've gleaned from the Simpsons. So, <laughs> <you know. laughs> sounds about right. Okay, yeah. the, the the Teamsters are the truck driving union. Mm-hmm. Okay, they take the they take the truck from the loading dock of the previous venue to the loading dock of the next venue. Mm-hmm. The International Alliance of Theatrical and Stage Employees, the Yahtzee people, are the people who take the stuff normally from the truck into the venue and set it up. In Chicago, they have what is, I don't know if it's their real name, but they call them the in-betweensters. And these are the guys whose job it is to take the stuff from the truck to the loading dock door. Huh. All right, then they pick and it up at the door. And that's all they do is you can't, you know, the, the, the guys inside the venue cannot come out onto that loading dock and go into the truck. It's the, the in-betweensters who take the shit from the truck and put it just inside the door. And then the other, it, it's like, I'm all for unions. I think unions are a great idea, but sometimes they go a little far. <laughs> it's health and safety gone mad. Yes, that's the watchword <laughs> in this country. Anyways, I mean, is there a reason why just in Chicago and not the other 49 states? Maybe that's just the only place I heard about it. Um, All right, okay. It may be elsewhere. I, you know, Florida is what we call a right-to-work state, so there are unions down here, but you don't have to be one to work. Uh, you don't have to be in one to to get work. Uh, so, and I never have been uh, for various reasons that are absolutely boring to anyone listening to this show. <laughs> but uh, um, you know, uh, old older states quote-unquote i know that y'all in england don't think anything over here is old <laughs> but um it, it was funny a friend of mine who uh she got married to an englishman and lived over there for seven years and then she came back and her son who's kind of like my son um you know he spent his uh late tens early teens over there uh and so when they came back a friend of his from school came to visit and they went to saint augustine uh, which is in northern, north, uh, northeastern Florida. Mm-hmm. It's the oldest city in the country. <laughs> uh, and they're walking around St. Augustine, and they're like, this is the oldest building in the United States. And he's like, my house is older than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that Eddie Hazard, uh, but he says, uh, I was watching a program about they'd redone a hotel in Miami, and they were saying, we've restored this building's how it looked over 50 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> It's not when you watch American Pickers, they're like, it's 120 years old. It's like, mate, my house is older than this. Yeah. I've li- my dad has got a trophy that his great-grandfather won, which is literally older than everything in that place you've got. Um, you know, it's, it, I don't know. I mean, because I was thinking of someone who, I can trace my family back to living in Lo- the same bit of London to 1695. Yeah. So we've lived in the same bit of London for 400 <laughs> years. <laughs> um, it's been a long struggle out of the ghetto. Uh, anyway, yeah, but um, it, that bit reminds me actually as well when we had um, Greg and Cheryl over, and I was talk- we were in the pub and we were talking football. I mean, our football, not the other football. Um, and uh, one of the, there was a team that it was like um, an anniversary of their founding, and so they stood. Everyone in the uh, on the home side stood up and applauded the seventy second minute. And I was like, oh, that's to commemorate when they were founded. And Cheryl says, "Be what nineteen seventy two? I was like, no, eighteen seventy two. That's that's why when when Eddie Izzard says I'm from England, you know where all the history comes from. Mm-hmm. It's a lot funnier over here than probably it is over there. <laughs> there was not, no people just go, yep, true. Yep. <laughs> we all live in castles. Yep. 
Oh, I will say though, Stonehenge. The some of the oldest <laughs> shit we have is boring. Mm. <laughs> I like Stonehenge. I just Stonehenge. Wish <laughs> where the demons dwell, where the banshees live, and they do live well. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, how they danced! You, it, <laughs> I wanted to touch Stonehenge, and they wouldn't—they don't let you anymore. Which oh no. me off, but... My nan carved her name on Stonehenge, and, I'm and that's why we can't touch it anymore. Yeah, I want to see if it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> get the binoculars out <laughs> well I was going to say if anyone finds the name Gene Winnell on there it's my <laughs> name could you take a picture of it and show me <laughs> if she I would have done it there in with... oh, 19... oh she must have done that in the 1950s there you go hmm. if I hadn't been there with 18 other people that would have gotten in trouble too I, I was so close to like I'm going up there and just touching it and running back but <laughs> Now, when I was there, an American asked me to take his picture next to it, and I did. And I was like, there, I gave his camera back, and I was like, there you go, mate. And he sort of smiled in a way that he thought my accent was adorable, and I was like, get out of my sight. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are not the most sophisticated people on earth. <laughs> no, it, no, it's just me being a grumpy London bag, basically. I was just, you know. I was going to say, I mean, especially like living in London, where your, your people are instantly recognisable. Mm. You um, can tell an, a group of Americans a mile away. Khakis. Oh, is it khakis? <laughs> khakis. When I was there in 1987, with the I, I was there with a tour of of Oklahoma, believe it or not, the the the, the musical Oklahoma. Uh, we were mm. going to per, we were going to perform it in Cornwall, mm. and we spent a week in London, and we're all in this pub, and at one point I say to this guy, "Yeah, we're all Americans." He's like, "Oh yeah, that's a sh- <laughs> like we could tell." Shocking. I'm like, "How did you?" Yeah. He's like, "Because you're wearing the uniform." And I look around, and we're all wearing jeans and jean jackets. And I was like, "Ah, oh, right. yeah. yeah." No, it's khakis. It's over there, or the or sort of the khaki shorts with with the the white socks pulled right up. Yeah. The, the sandals, uh-huh. like a polo shirt, <laughs> and then um, you know, obviously giant cameras, yeah. just basically with steal me" written on it. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, standing in herds outside the tube station when you're trying to go work. <laughs> Later to be found at the um, oh the bloody Angus Steakhouse where all the we put all the tourists. You will never oh. find a Londoner in an Angus Steakhouse. <laughs> oh, I went there once. <laughs> yeah, you did because you're not from London, mate. There were no. no one goes to the Angus Steakhouse. Yeah. I've I've had burger patties bigger than steak. I had at Angus Steakhouse. Yes, because you have bought one in Central London. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. Fucking how much? <laughs> yeah, again, I bet that is again, again talking about you. tribal differences. The North South divide. Oh, speaking yeah. here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, speaking anyway, as been... someone who lives in a tourist trap. Yeah, uh, I was going to say you must be you must be sick of just well you must know the British people the ones who are drunk bright red because they've been out in the sun too long <laughs> um, you know fuck every other word you must know us by now <laughs> actually but the, you know what the Brits aren't too bad over here it's the it's the Canadians and and our own Northerners that are the worst but uh, just as someone who lives in a tourist place if i ever get back to england i will never be on the road between 6 a.m and, and 9 a.m well so in london I will, in, or anywhere because <laughs> oh, i think okay. tourists should be banned from the roads during rush hour when people are trying to get to work tourists should not be on the goddamn roads <laughs> 
Well, I mean, it, it's just, it, yeah, I don't know. It's just because living in the city, it's just part of the fabric, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, that just reminds me actually, when we when we went to Florida with the one no time we went, mm-hmm. my dad spent most of the trip looking at people's number plates and going, cool, they've driven here from X. That must have taken them X hours because my dad's <laughs> obsessed. Because obviously, you know, in, America is so gigantic compared mm-hmm. to our country. It's the, the concept, I mean, especially like if we're, when I'm watching football and you know, there would be people like what we, as we would know, away fans. Mm-hmm. And my dad's like, they've driven all the way from blah. That must have taken about twelve hours. And you know, obviously, if you drive for twelve hours here, you're in the sea. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my state is longer than your country. So. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what fucked me up about the floods in 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 Texas as well, because there must be the, the surface area that's underwater is bigger than our country right now. I think mm-hmm. surely. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked at it, but yeah, uh, um, Harvey was huge. It was a huge storm. Um, well, Irma's coming as well though. I saw eh, most, most of the tracks have it bouncing out back into the Atlantic. I'm, I'm kind of, oh, uh, hopefully, yeah. Okay. No, hopefully. Cause if you get slamming another one, fucking hell. Uh, well, if Irma comes in, it's going to hit Florida or, or the Carolinas. It's not going to go to Texas. So I don't, I mean, there are one or two, uh, tracks that have it going that way but the majority uh you know and granted you know this is a hurricane it's all probabilities nobody knows for sure mm-hmm. uh, right. but the vast majority of it has it hitting the jet stream and bouncing off and or the the gulf stream and bouncing off and going back out into the atlantic Ooh, if it goes to the gulf stream that means we'll get it in about a week excellent yeah. you <laughs> might yeah <laughs> awesome some horizontal some uh, horizontal rain for us that'd be good <laughs> <laughs> and the people will be saying oh it's miserable out there no fucking shit it's september yeah <laughs> it, this so is now it's... the great this is the gray season now so mm. it will now be gray from now until about mid-march yeah it's pitch black outside now oh yeah it's well dark yeah, yeah. now well done. Yeah. yeah it's it's yeah it's yeah. Eight, eight yeah is is patrick Troughton still alive no no, no. he died in 87 okay. i think okay yes somewhere around there yeah he passed away uh, a yeah. long time ago he, he passed away. He was in America when he passed away doing a convention. He wasn't was, he? Yeah. and the rumors what he was doing uh, on things I will not repeat. Okay, <laughs> but you know, overall, I'm glad I watched this. I'm glad I saw it. It's it, it's always fascinating to me to see where Doctor Who came from. Yeah, because my first, you know, my first ex- exposure to Doctor Who, as we've talked about on movies you should see a while ago. Um, was the 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 Peter Cushing movies, mm. which bear no resemblance to anything from the TV show. Oh man, you like that Ian Moore over the television version? Yeah, well. <laughs> uh. Oh man, do you remember? Do you remember that episode of movies you should see where we took that on there? We got slated. Yeah. <laughs> oh really? You're wrong you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, we got smacked. We had smacked bums after that, didn't mm-hmm. we? Cool, blimey, they yeah. were not impressed with our offering. No. <laughs> Um, and I even, you know, when you're a kid and you have very few memories of yourself as a, as a very young child, but hmm. I have one very strong memory after seeing, uh, which one, one was like in the year 25, 25 or something like that. That's the song with, but one of the movies was titled that, wasn't it? That was the second something, one. Dalek 21, some, Dalek Invasion 2150. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I saw that. I remember seeing that one when I was five years old. And then I had a nightmare about Daleks. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a nightmare about Daleks. 
Um, I don't know if, if I, you know, ever told my mom or anything about that, but, uh, uh, you know, I just, I had a nightmare about Daleks taking over the world. They scared the crap out of me as a kid. Mm. Um, so that was my first exposure to Doctor Who. And then 1981, uh, I have a little 13 inch. Yes. In that time, 1981, <laughs> 13 inch was small. <laughs> TV in my room. <laughs> Luxury. We were rich. <laughs> um, uh, our local PBS station which is our, our, our version of the BBC, more or less. It's our, it's, you know, our government-funded mm-hmm. yeah, uh, public, public, public TV, uh, said, Doctor Who. And I'm like, cool. And then it was Robot. Oh. <laughs> oh. And I, you know, I watched episode one of Robot. Now, looking back, I rewatched it a couple years ago and was like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, but at the time, I was like, I was confused because it was not what I remembered doctor who being mm. but i yeah. liked it uh and i you know i fell in love with tom baker right away and i watched all that season that, that series um and fell in love with sarah jane even more uh and i still get choked up when i think about her mm-hmm. mm. damn it <laughs> um and then leela uh she's still around right yeah 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 it's i mean, can I remember her name? Louise Jameson. Louise. Yeah. Okay. Um, after, and he was, what he did like seven series, right? Yep. Seven. Yeah. Okay. I didn't see, I think when Leela left, maybe, maybe is when I, it, cause I, it was like, I went to college yeah. and, and, and kind of stopped watching. And then once, uh, once Tom Baker left, I think I tried to watch the first, um, Patrick. No. Peter Davison. Peter Davidson. I, I tried to watch the first episode of his and and the, the cricket uniform just to, and I and, you know, as, as almost all first time who fans, you know, like, that's not my doctor. Fuck this. Um, you know, so I, you know, I had that reaction to Peter Davidson. And uh, but so now that I'm over that stupidity. And, you know, having watched all of the new who and loving it and stuff, I love going back and seeing the old stuff, but I never think to do it. So mm. thank you guys for giving me, not just giving me an excuse, giving me an impetus to do this. Well, I think we should probably, I think we should probably make you do it more because yeah. it's absolutely say, from, from our, from our um, perspective, it's, it's fascinating to get like. A, a, a virgin view, if you will, of these stories because they're so ingrained in our minds. <laughs> mm. um, that in a very long time. <laughs> I've got like some sort of weird filth emitter <laughs> in my brain because I keep getting called out for this in podcasts. So <laughs> I should think before I speak. But um, it's it's nice to have just like a, a brand new view of these because they're so ingrained mm. in our brains and we've watched them so many times. And I mean, we've been into Doctor Who since we were, were youngins and obviously mm-hmm. growing up um, in the into Who years, as they would call it. I mean, because I, I grew up watching it on UK TV Gold. Yeah. It was my Sunday thing. I would get up, have all my homework in front of me, the Doctor Who, the new Doctor Who or the whatever Doctor Who episode Doctor Who had on UK Gold, mm-hmm. the videos things like that so um it's just it, it's such a part it's been such a huge part of my life for sort of the past 20 years um <laughs> that it's difficult to have any sort of fresh perspective on 
especially beloved episodes like Tomb of the Cybermen. Yeah. So it's so refreshing to to have to have, to bring up plot points as well that we just like I say we just go eh, it's just that's what it is. Mm, yeah. And it, it's just so easy to do that. Um and it really kind of it seems to be like a new trend actually sort of in podcasting to like one big thing that seems to be happening in in pod, sci-fi podcasts is people who've never seen the next generation mm. so we're now into the thing of like the next generation is sufficiently old there are adults now who've never seen it so it's when you go back and listen to these and you listen to somebody have bring a new perspective to you know i've seen episodes of the next generation again like a dozen times so mm. so listening to someone talk about that fresh is is really is is cool for a lot of reasons but especially when they say well why is this happening and what about this character and you think yeah hang on you're right yeah. So yeah. that's that's kind of a little bit of of that for us, and um, also us being British and you being American. I mean, something that never sort of fails to not amuse me. Amuse me is maybe not the right word, but like the culture difference, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and oh, like yeah. us talking about that. And I think is you know, as my nan used to say, you know, we're we're a we're a country di- we're divided by a language or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. um, it's. You know, our sort two, of two funny countries separated way. by a common language. That's right. Yes. Or is that as I would have a two countries separated by the Atlantic Ocean? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, our small, uh, dreary island in the middle of the Atlantic, um, uh, sort of beaming this kind of our our take on way the sci-fi is compared to especially mm. the American view, which so I mean at, at its base for me is American sci-fi for the most part is optimistic, whereas ours is everyone going to die. Mm-hmm. Although Everything we've kind of we, we've swapped now, we've swapped now. <laughs> yes, so that's I think that's a whole that's a whole. I think you guys should do that in Starbase sixty six actually because I think it's it's kind of fascinating idea. like our like our cultural our two cultures takes on mm. sci fi, especially like I say up until recent days because ours is exclusively pessimistic. Oh yeah, because <laughs> that's just the way we are. Mm-hmm. Um. Whereas obviously the American, mostly the American take is much more like, you know, sort of it's kind of manifest destiny sort of stuff about, you know, we will we will overcome and make things better. And, you know, that is refreshing, especially when Lars are like and then everyone went blind and died. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. See, you, you say we've swapped. I think it's more like we've dragged you down to our level. Yeah, you caught up with us. (laughs) I've been trying to find some new sci-fi to watch uh, since The Expanse is on hiatus. Mm -hmm. And and even The Expanse, while I love it, is grim as hell. There's just, you know, Star Trek is starting up. As we record this, Star Trek will be, uh, uh, the new Star Trek will be starting in a little, in 21 days, Mm -hmm. three weeks. Don't get counted down or anything. (laughs) 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 Obsessively checking the calendar every day. Um. (laughs) And while I'm really looking forward to it, I don't expect it to be as optimistic as previous incarnations because that's just not the zeitgeist now. Hmm. Do you know what? Um, I would put a crisp tenor on, you know, all these people they've got in the, um, in the, you know, in all the promotional bump. One of them is going to die in episode one. Guarantee it. Hmm. Uh, hmm. I guarantee it. Because they're like, it's not your dad's Star Trek again. You know, it's consequences and serious stuff. And the w- easiest way to do that is show them someone nice and then kill them. Horribly. Horribly. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm i not going to take that. Back. <laughs> <laughs> 
However, something that struck me, Abba, and something that you've said actually a few times, Rick, is like um, you've watched like our telly, and something that you find is that people are mean to each other. Whereas it always just makes me laugh because that's just how we are. We're just horrible to each other. Yep. 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 Well, it, it's. <laughs> I I well actually in your in like uh in the in the oh god words Rick in the dramas not so much because like uh we got uh what was it SVU London was that the was that what it was called oh, Law and CSI Order London Law and Order London that's what it was mm-hmm. yeah Jung, Jung, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, with with Freema Agumon uh, and Jamie Bamber, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which that just blew my mind hearing him with his it's actual all accent. Normally does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, I love that show. I was really bummed it only got one season. Um, but uh, it's your comedies, you know. Rich, you know, Rich is always trying to here watch what oh, what was the you know, uh, Father Ted and mm-hmm. um, oh, what's the other one he really loves? Uh, Come fly with me. No, it's it's an it's it's one that's been on forever. Uh, it's two brothers, and they're like criminals, kind of. And, and oh, anyway, only fools and horses. Yes, only fools and horses. Oh horses my god! Do not express this opinion in this country. You will be killed. <laughs> <laughs> you will be lynched. Yeah, I guarantee it, I, you will be murdered horribly. I tried to watch both of them, and it was just idiots being awful to each other. <laughs> welcome to England. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, welcome to England. I was like, because when you put that on Facebook, and I was like, how are you friends with all of us then? Because that is what we're like. <laughs> but I love Monty Python, and I, I loved the goodies, and uh, uh, Derek and Clive were hilarious. Uh, so you're more of a fan of like a more absurdist humor sort of exactly yeah, yeah. rather than yeah, yeah the yeah, Reeves um, you, you, and Mortimer kind of uh, sort of sort of slapstick zany bizarre tangents wouldn't let yeah. it lie Mike wouldn't let it lie he wouldn't let it lie oh we're gonna go da- again we're gonna go down this road for a long while but yeah the sort of the the family interactive stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I, I just don't know. It's just because that, that was sort of what got me. Because I was like, "How are you friends with English people?" Because this is what we're like. There is not a time where I don't greet my brother. Just say, "All right, dickhead, what's going?" You know. So I, it's just what we're like. Um, Graham Norton is another one. I love him. He's he's wonderful. Mm. He was over here for what they 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 called it the Graham Norton ex- experiment. And it only got one season, and I guess it didn't work. But I loved it. I, I think he's he's awesome. I guess it's just a it's just I don't like sitcoms, no matter which side of the the pond they're from. All <laughs> so. oh, right, you're not a sitcom man, so hmm. yeah. But I just think that you know culturally, we're just. I mean, because I've read like lots of these things. I read a thing it was like on BuzzFeed or something about American expats coming to Britain, and like a lot of them struggled with. You you all seem so mean, but it's just. That's just where we just how we do. <laughs> look, that's how I express that. I, look, I couldn't be your better mate if I, if we walk in and I just go, "Oh, for fuck's sake, what are you doing here?" <laughs> you know, you, you know that I love you. <laughs> well, that, and that's how I grew up. My my stepdad yeah. that I grew up with, uh, you know, if he if he gave you shit, it meant he liked you. If he yeah. was nice to you, then he did not like you. And so I'm, I dig that. It it just, but that that's not what is in Father Ted. That's not, oh, I love you, motherfucker. Come here, I'm going to make fun of you. It was, you're a 
bastard. <laughs> you're a drunk old angry that, man, and you're yeah. Um, that that thing. I, I think it is quite niche. Um, I mean, cause there are, I mean, I think there's quite a considerable amount of British people who don't really like care for those sitcoms either. <laughs> but it just something about it. Just yeah, the horrible people sitcom. I kind of like. You know, like. <laughs> Father Ted and Black Books and Bottom and mm-hmm. the Young Ones and things like yeah. that. It just I like yeah. the young ones. I like the young ones. I love Black Adder. Uh, and... See, that is the archetypal horrible people sitcom. But I think because yeah. Black, I think the thing because he is such a bastard, you have to love yeah. him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the Black Adder it... Christmas special is the best thing ever because it's the it's a Christmas Carol in reverse and it's brilliant. <laughs> oh no, I mean because me, me and my brother and my dad can quote. Blackadder just in in it verbatim, mm-hmm. and it, it's one of those things. It sort of become our family shorthand as well. Mm. Uh, you know, a bit, it's one of those things. We walking around and like um, we were looking, we were walking around like an antiques thing, and there was some cigarette cards. And I just said to my dad, "Mel, how family took up smoking just to get your card," and we just all started giggling. <laughs> you know, it's just that sort of thing. So either y'all got a lot of editing to do, or this has devolved into a, uh, a oh, look, sociological it... experiment. <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of the idea, though, isn't it? Ah, ultimately, yeah, exactly. Well, it is a look, simply syndicated show. So. Well, yes, exactly. Look, do you want more show or less? Bloody stop moaning, right? Because it's a bit late, so you get a double-length show. So yeah, yeah stop complaining. Yeah, yeah, Should yeah, be grateful. And, and yeah. since we're talking about. Star Trek Discovery, or we were a few minutes ago. <laughs> did you know that there's going to be a new simply syndicated Star Trek Discovery show? I did not know this, Rick. Tell uh, us more. <laughs> we are going to be recording our... It's going to be called the Simply Syndicated uh, Discovery After Show. Uh, and I'm not sure when the first episode will be out. We'll be recording the first episode uh, on the 18th of this month. Um, it will be, uh, Sean Ray and myself are going to be the hosts and we are going to be bringing in pretty much anyone week in Shanghai to come in and talk about the show. It'll be a, a, a episode by episode, uh, recap and discussion, uh, as Star Trek Discovery unfolds. So the plan is to each, each new episode of Discovery will premiere on a Sunday on CBS All Access or Netflix to you fuckers outside the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> Problem is, it's going to land straight in the middle of it's right in the middle of football season for me. Uh, um, And so we're going to record each show on a Monday. I would assume it'll be out on either the Tuesday or Wednesday following uh, the 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 release of Discovery. And I'm I could not be more excited about this show. Uh, And I hope that if you're a Star Trek fan, uh, you're looking forward to it. If you're not a Star Trek fan, this will be a great chance to become one. Uh, And so please tune in. Uh, I mean, I think we'll be watching it, won't we, Mike? Um, I don't have Netflix. Get a free trial. Do it for the whole time. Be oh, fine. Could, just yeah. get a couple. Just get a couple of email addresses and do a couple of free trials. It'd be good. <laughs> so um, yeah, do that. Um, yeah. So uh, not that simply yeah. syndicated endorses that sort of uh, maneuver, but you know, <laughs> hey, loopholes, folks. Look, you and everyone else, mate. It's not the you. I think about ten percent of people using Netflix pay for it. So. Um, <laughs> It's uh, yeah, I, I, I'll definitely be going to check it out. I mean, I'm sort of, I've been a Star Trek fan since I was a wee little person, mm-hmm. so the thought of it being back on telly, well, sort of telly, sort of, you know, fills <laughs> my heart with uh, with joy. I must say, I am sort of in arms folded, skeptical mode about it at the moment. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. gonna go and watch it. Uh, like I say, there will be a bits of you know. <laughs> pausing Detroit Lions games, going and watching it and coming back and being more angry than when I left. 
um, so, <laughs> um, you know, coming down like, oh God, we're fourteen nil down in the first quarter, and I'll come and watch Star Trek. Um, so, well, the, yeah, the nice thing yeah. about this one is it's not—they're not doing the the usual, uh, you know, dumping the entire season at once. They're releasing mm-hmm. them weekly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but I think I think the time is right for this type of sci-fi. I mean, Westworld's been hu- blew up huge. Mm. I just um, wish they put it on something I could fucking watch it on because I don't have HBO. Yeah, just buy the DVD, mate. It's coming. I mean, we've been waiting for the pre-order for the DVD. The well, Blu-ray. I keep saying the DVD, the Blu-ray for ages because we loved it. <laughs> and my dad hasn't got anything to watch it on. He's like, "Can I borrow your Blu-ray when you get it?" And I was like, "Yeah, mate. As soon as it comes." Um, you know, we're just sort of it's one of those things of like, you know, it's bitten Scott Pilgrim and he's sitting waiting at the um the post box for it to come. <laughs> so yeah, we're in we're in that mode with it. But I mean, the point is that Westworld's been just sort of went mental and everyone went mental for Game of Thrones and so I think there's an appetite for this kind of more dark tinged, mm-hmm. kind of people centric and we haven't got many starship shows on telly anymore, so No, no. Let's yeah. let's get them back. You know, it was funny when they announced this, uh, that it was coming and it was going to be on CBS All Access. That night, we sat down at the dinner table and I was like, hey, honey, guess what? Star Trek's coming back. Oh, cool. I was like, yeah, it's on, it's on, uh, you know, it's going to be on CBS All Access. It's going to, you know, you have to have to subscribe. Oh, well, that's a shame. And I said, you know what? I don't make many unilateral decisions in this house. <laughs> <laughs> but we're paying to watch Star Trek. I think that's it's, fair it's enough. It's only six bucks a month. It's not a ridiculous no. amount. So no, you just cancel it afterwards as well. So who cares? Just you know, been like what you know, eighteen bucks. So you know, for for all the episodes. So yeah, mm-hmm. you know, if it if it turns out to be not quite the investment you want, that's a nice thing. You just cancel and they're done with it. Um, yeah. So why don't you plug your other mis- other mini shows while you're here, Rick? <laughs> uh, well, also, uh, Starbase 66 is back. Uh, yes! We... <laughs> yeah, we're, we're happy. Um, uh, which is the Star Trek and genre fiction uh, show that we do uh, have been doing since 2008 with a slight break a couple of years off. Um, and also, uh, every Saturday... Well, no, it doesn't come out every Saturday. We record it every Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, is simply syndicated movie news. Uh, which where uh, Rich and uh, Jen and Boz and I uh, do our best to encapsulate what's going on in the world of cinema for y'all. Uh, and also, a uh, uh, couple times a month, I release the Seventh Chevron, which is Row from Atomic Trivia War 9000 and I going through Stargate episode by episode. Hmm. Cool. And uh, also, shout out to Row for uh, getting as far as you did it, uh, on the Pat oh, yeah. Thone. Packs, yeah, she is kicking ass there. Mm-hmm. Sadly, she, I think she crashed out on the on the last round. But uh, oh no, shit, I, yeah, it was, I can't. Well, it wasn't like the the finale or anything, but um, it was like she'd gotten pretty far. For yeah, she made it like to yeah, like, made, made it to the late rounds. Yeah, yeah. she did. Yeah. So, oh, good for uh, you, Ro. Well done. Yeah, good on you, girl. Yeah. 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 So say, thank oh, you guys do... for for letting me come on and talk about this. I've had a blast. Oh. Well, glad to have you, Rick. It's always we always love to have your show on here. And I mean, you said that, you know, you you kind of when these pop up on your feed that you know you you this is the first thing you play. I mean, for me, when Starbase oh, yeah. sixty six comes up, it's mm-hmm. the first thing I play. So it's it's my great pleasure to have you on on our show anytime you want to be on. So um, yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. Mm-hmm. Tis a joy, <laughs> indeed. 
So I'll wrap this up by my usual way. If you have any thoughts about the Tomb of the Cybermen, you can send them to us at our regular email address, greatestshow at simplysyndicated.com, to our Twitter account at greatestshowpod, and our Facebook page, facebook.com slash greatestshowpodcast. Whilst you're listening to us, feel free to check out our sister shows on the network, Simply Syndicated Movie News, Atomic Trivia War 9000, Masters of None, Do Ask, Do Tell, Back Channel 66, Here Goes Nothing, Tech Out Leave It, The Seventh Chevron, The Little Pot of Horrors, Ray Guns and Go-Go Boots, Nerd Hurdles, Making Sense of Richard Smith, The Greatest Events in Sporting History, For Those About to Rock, Dangerously Unprepared, Starbase 66, and Simply Syndicated Gaming News. Yes! Yes! As always, we welcome your support, and the best way you can help us out is by subscribing to Simply Everything. For a monthly fee of just £6, you can enjoy a library of podcasts from the archives of Simply Syndicated, as well as episodes of the exclusive to Simply Everything shows Shaken Not Stirred, and remote patrol spin-offs Oh Boy and Trust No One. Simply Syndicated also runs a merchandise store offering apparel and accessories to both Europe and America. You can also support the network through a monthly page on Patreon, or you can donate to the network through paypal.me, of which links to both are on the bottom of the website. So, with that being said, thank you very much, Rick. Oh, my pleasure. And by the way, folks, if you want to tell me how full of shit I am about this episode, the email address is techsupportrich at simplysyndicated.com. <laughs> nice. And thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Mike. And until next time, take care and bye-bye. You belong to us. You <laughs> shall be like us. us. <laughs> Wanderers in the fourth dimension. This. Is... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Greetings, fellow wanderers in the fourth dimension, and welcome to the greatest show in the galaxy. I am Mike. He's Emma, and joining us is another he. It... Can we do it again, please? I've I cat, cat walked in and looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna don't mess up my helmets? You bugger off. No, because I've got my little my little NFL helmets on the shelf. She's looking. She's gone to look at the window, and she's standing right next to the LA Chargers helmet. Jasmine, if you mess them up, we're gonna have a fight. <laughs> this is especially funny for me because, as Mike can attest, more than many star bases start off this mm. way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, Jasmine, right? Just don't do anything. Okay. <clears throat> Greetings, fellow ones in the fourth dimension, and welcome to the greatest show in the galaxy. I am Mike. He oh, no, fuck's sake, Jasmine! <laughs> <laughs> that needs to go after the end credits. Fuck! <laughs> I've never done that before.
before. How long are we doing this bloody podcast? I've never done that. <laughs> Shite. Right. If I take my off, you're gonna you're gonna walk straight through them, aren't you, Jasmine? <laughs> Jasmine. See, this right, is okay. why I don't have pets. <laughs> okay. Right. Greetings, fellow. Uh, <laughs> greetings, fellow. <laughs> you fucking assholes. 